Today, I sit down with the Director of Enterprise Sales at Augury, Chad Henricks. Chad hails from Florida. Since 1995, Chad has led a successful career in sales, both as an individual contributor and a large team leader. Chad shares with me how growing up in a small town has led him towards a career in sales, valuing relationships over nearly everything else. I loved Chad's perspective on bridging the old school way of selling with the new school of way of selling because he optimizes for the human behind the sale first. Chad is both thoughtful and practical, and he did an exceptional job sharing his wisdom with me. I know you're going to love today's episode of The Ramp Podcast. Let's jump in. You're listening to The Ramped Podcast, a podcast connecting industry heavyweights with the next generation of talented professionals. We're on a mission to build transparency into the practical realities of your early career by exploring how the world's best did it themselves. Our guidance will help you discover and launch a successful career in sales, technology, finance, and many other industries. All right, everyone, we are back. On the Ramp Podcast, I'm here with a special guest today. It is Mr. Chad Heinrichs. Chad, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. Absolutely. We are thrilled to have you. I know in our production meetings, we we scouted you for a bit and chased you down. I'm very happy that you joined us. Before we jump into those five questions that we ask every single guest on this season of the Ramp Podcast to get an apples to apples comparison of backgrounds and experiences, who is Chad Heinrichs? Yeah, great question. So well, to start personally, I mean, personally, I'm a small town guy. I grew up in a really small town in Northwest Illinois called Freeport, Illinois, about a hundred miles outside of Chicago. So really, I think growing up in a small town makes relationships important. And I think I've carried that throughout my career. And I think that really kind of sets you up in long-term kind of on how you treat people. And so really just a small town guy who has randomly found sales and found some success here and there throughout the process. And I think as most people kind of in sales, you didn't know you were going to end up here. Somehow you started your journey and kind of uh, has taken a hold of me and I'm really excited and I still really enjoy my career. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. And uh, like you from the Midwest. So I think that that yields itself to being relationship focused. I feel like Midwesterners very level, level set it and understand relationships, understand people really well. Yeah. But I'm biased. Sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> all right. Awesome. If you're ready, would love to join, jump into those five questions that we ask all our guests on the Ramp podcast. So on your go ahead. Sure. All right. Let's do it. Question number one What is the best investment an early career salesperson can do for themselves and why? Yeah. I would say to actually invest in a course or a book just on enterprise sales process. For me, that is kind of force management's command of the message. That is a sales process I like to use. I like, it's good to share what I use. There's tons of different processes out there. I've been trained on challenger sales, Sandler sales techniques, and I do use different sales techniques today in my entire process. But I think the more, most important thing is to really understand a process to know your gaps, to really understand where you're at and to really solving a customer's problem and in general, just completing a sale. I would say probably secondly is also to understand your vertical market. I mean, if you don't really have an understanding of who you're selling to, you're not going to have any credibility. So really spend some time to really research the vertical market you're selling into. 
I know a lot of sellers out there selling to multiple vertical markets. They're not really vertically focused, but I, I would recommend that you kind of focus on a vertical market one at a time or two at a time. So you really understand the pain points and the talk track around those vertical markets. For me, it's manufacturing. So a good example would be, hey, am I selling into the lumber industry, which I have. So I know a lot about lumber mills and lumber making. So I spent a lot of time to educate myself on what the process is, the sort of margins they make, the pain points that they have in their manufacturing processes, which might be totally different than a product manufacturer that makes diapers. So they're another client, right? So I, you need to really understand the differences in your vertical market so you have some credibility and you really provide value for your client to really want to spend time with you. I think that's another thing is making sure your client wants to spend time with you. And that's really being able to speak their language. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. We're biased on number one, two. Ramped, Ramped obviously has a training course for y'all. If you don't want to pick that book up, or even if you do to augment it with, with us as well, but clearly agree with number one. Number two is really great. Did you know right away that you had a passion for lumber? And I, I bring that up because folks, generally speaking, when we come on, when, when I talk with sales leaders who come on the podcast, or even in my experience in sales as well, folks generally have to have that passion for what they're doing ahead of jumping into a role. So when did you realize, or, or do you do you think you need to, or is it something else? I would say my passion is really high tech. I wouldn't put my passion into a vertical themselves. It's like, how can I use technology to really better process, better outcomes for a client, whatever it can be. Today, I sell manufacturing software. I've been in the software business for the past 25 years, but I started my sales career selling cell phones. And selling cell phones was high tech when I started that part of the business. So I think it really matters like what, if you're interested in technology, I think selling technology is much different than selling product. It's just like selling a, ser a service is different than selling software. So I know those are kind of merging into a SaaS, which is a combination offering, which is what I sell today too, which is a combination offering. But it's really, I think, understanding people buy those different things in a different way. So you really have to know how to educate yourself on how to create your buying process around what and who you're selling to. I know, like I look back in my early part of my sales career, I would say I didn't adopt a process. Now, I was still successful even though I didn't adopt and understand a process, but I did that via outworking people. And the longer you get into sales, the longer you, the more you learn that hey, I can only outwork people for so long. That's not a sustainable model. Really long-term in your career, you're going to burn out. So you have to really find a process in order to really understand buying criteria and buying process of your, of your client. And I think that that's why my suggestion is to really like follow a process. And it doesn't, everybody can find their own. There's probably a hundred different sales books and coaching people out there that can give you similar, but tweaks on a sales process in order to really understand and, you know, how to get to the end goal, because let's face it, no one really wakes up in the morning and says, you know, the thing I want to do is go sell something today. I mean, we all have something else we'd rather be doing for me, you know, a hobby is golf. I love to play golf. I'd rather be out on the golf course today and going to do that. But sales is a passion and a job. It's not like I don't like my job. I definitely do like my job, but we all have personal things. We'd rather spend time with 
family or other things other than actually going out and selling something. So for me, I want to make sure I'm the most efficient in doing that. The other thing that sales process has done for me is to really look and understand why I won and why I lost a deal. I think early on, I didn't spend enough time reflecting back on why it happened. And it seems like we reflect more on our losses than our wins. So for me, I think it's very, very important that we reflect on both. I know with my team, when we do deal reviews and we do group kind of settings to talk about what's happening, I try to change it up on what we're reviewing. We will review sometimes only bad things that happen in deals. Other days I'll be like, we only are going to review the good things that happen in deals. And that really, I think, changes the dynamic of the conversation. We either usually want to talk only about, you know, the good or the bad and, and stay on that kind of realm. I think it's really good to kind of differentiate that salespeople know that there is good and bad that's going to happen every single day. But let's reflect on how we got there and could we have gotten there quicker? Yeah, that's great. I'm a massive, massive proponent of evaluating sales process, having the right process, documenting process earlier than you think you should. And separately, don't want to digress, but I could probably talk to you about golf as well for a very long time. And I would much rather be doing or being on the golf course and many things in life. So I agree, <laughs> I agree with you there too. <laughs> But moving on to moving on to number two, how has your view on sales changed over your career, and and why do you think that's happened? Yeah, that's a really good question. At my age group, I'm just coming up on fifty here at the end of the year, so I'm a little older than probably a lot of your listeners. But I was kind of the last of a breed to be kind of trained on feature benefit selling and objection handling. So when I came out of college, didn't know what I was going to do. I got hired by a cell phone company actually in Hawaii. Another thing unique about me is I went to the University of Hawaii. So I actually graduated from the University of Hawaii, which is kind of a whole nother dynamic to kind of think my career and being able to relate to multiple people in kind of this new, new diverse world we're in. But for me, it was really, I was taught feature benefit selling and always sell on the features and the benefits and really like a three by five card and how to deal with an objection. Now, of course, everything has switched from that sort of selling to value selling. And I'm a big like believer in value selling, but I think sometimes value selling has made my, my reps actually very poor at objection handling. So value selling, when we're talking just about value, we're talking about the benefits, right? That they're going to get from the solution. But a lot of times I notice my reps aren't prepared to deal with the objections. So I spend a lot of time role-playing with my, my salespeople and how we're going to deal with an objection. And it's amazing that throughout common objections that we may hear even every day and reps really stammer on how to kind of answer those objections. So I think that the key for me is to get my team to think about three to five different ways they could handle the same objection, depending on the time point of the sale that it may come up. And just to make them feel more comfortable to answer that in a way that is their own language, not my language. I'm very a big proponent on be yourself. And even though I've been successful in the way I do it, I don't try to make my salespeople do it the way I do it. I'm like, I want you to do it the way you're comfortable with. Otherwise, it's going to come off as disingenuous. That's great guidance. It reminds me a little bit of some of the things that we teach or some of the things that I've been taught in my career, especially early 
in learning a specific company or product sales process is trust the playbook and then forget everything about the playbook and figure out how to sell it yourself, essentially. Very true. Yes. Yes. Especially with early career folks, it's very important to know that the playbook or the way, the right way to position a product, you should pull from that what is almost the mandatory things, the, the key benefits, the value propositions, but how you actually go about it depends a lot on you. And again, sales, like you brought up, it's really about relationships and understanding people as much as it is understanding the product. So who you're selling to and what they care about. And that can be done in many different ways. It's kind of that merging of really merging of, of art and science. I manage a team of six today and they're all completely different personalities, which honestly makes my job more interesting. If we were all clones, it wouldn't be interesting at all. I'd be numb at the end of every day. So I'm always very cognizant in the way I actually role play or even suggest and how people will present to the clients. And just kind of to reflect back on presenting to the client and how things have changed, back to the original question, how things have changed over my career, is I think customers buy differently. I mean, when I started, the internet wasn't even really out there. Now everybody has done their own research. Yep. They have comparison documents. They've looked at your competition. They've tried to compare even pricing before they spoke to you. Um, so people buy differently. I also think people, even in the past, I would call it five years, even buy differently than they did earlier. It was kind of like a mid-change in my career, now a later change. I think we've all had a little bit of ADHD. I think everybody wants immediate answers. And when salespeople don't provide immediate answers to clients, clients get very impatient. And a lot of times I notice that if my me or my rep will not answer a question very directly, very quickly, they really will tune out and not really respect what we have to say. So I, I really think, I, I try to tell my salespeople, we're here to influence, not sell. And I think there is a, a nuance there between selling and influencing a client on how how they want to buy, what they want to buy, and why they want to buy. And for me, influencing is just smaller suggestions, right? And things that they may not have thought about. And those are a lot of times via storytelling or other small things that you can introduce to your sales process. But as soon as you get too salesy in today's world, you're going to be tuned out. And I think the key is to make sure you're not tuned out and that you as a salesperson or sales professional are really adding value to that conversation and really providing insights of things that they may not have thought of or that they couldn't find on your website. Yep, that's right. A lot of the selling today really does happen ahead of the actual call and is done almost proactively, especially especially for some of these B2B or SaaS style products that are out there today. The good, really good insights. And I appreciate you sharing how it's changed over time. I think that's very important for folks to know, but there's still many things that you have brought up early in your career about your early, the early portion of your career that still apply today, which is great. Kind of merging the two, which leads me into the next question about that early stage in your career. What is, what is one mistake that you made early in your career that has shaped the way that you operate today? Early in my career, which I think with a lot of younger salespeople, I tried to avoid objections. I hated objections in my process. I hated objections to my product. Even if I was trained to answer those objections, 
every time I heard an objection, I felt like my deal was going to be killed. That if I didn't answer this perfectly, that I had to, I was going to kill my sale with one answer. So what I think I've learned over my career is it took me years on how to really understand objections are a great thing and probably the most important thing in the sales process, really to understand the customer's buying criteria, first of all, their decision-making process, and also for you to be able to challenge back, are you really involved or have a path to an economic buyer? The big question is, if you answer objections properly and actually ask questions back, you're gonna be able to define how you win. Uh, it's hard to define how you win until you have that sort of interaction. A manager I had recently, just sentence to me that I still think about, that I didn't think about earlier in my career. He says, our job is to create conflict and tension. Now, the key is to know how much conflict and tension to create. We've all been on calls and sales calls, I think, where there's too much conflict and tension, which does kill a deal and things can't progress. But we always want to create a little bit of conflict and tension and push, but also have enough EQ to know when to kind of pull back. So I think that is kind of more the art of the sale and kind of how we kind of create conflict in the deal cycle in order to get to a real decision and understanding the decision process earlier. I also would say most buyers don't understand their own decision process. So that gets back to influencing on how do we influence where in, in my world, selling tech, a lot of times it's just as blatantly as telling them, here is how I think you should consider making your buying process. This has been successful with my other clients. Would you be okay following this process with me? And you'd be shocked. 90% of the time they will say yes. If they say no, that's still a great thing because you're going to have it truly defined and where you stand. And you're going to kind of understand your journey together and the one thing that will really do is understand your forecasting better. We all are in the world where we have to forecast quarterly and what's happening. And most junior reps have a really hard time understanding forecasting. We call it happy years, kind of where I'm at, right? We have happy years that things are going really, really well because we may have a champion, but a champion doesn't always lead to an economic buyer, which is actually the person that's going to sign the check at the end of the day. Yeah, it's great. That's great. And a lot of folks who do say something in the beginning that resonates really well is objections sometimes will just throw people off and they don't know how to answer and they freeze up, especially on a call or a cold call or an early intro call. And that comes with experience. It comes with time. It comes with facing them enough. Do you have a sort of like a framework or a hard and fast rule when handling an objection? And I ask because there's obviously no silver bullet that just handles every objection, but is there a process that you do to easily identify it and then say, okay, this is just an objection because of X or is it something else? I would definitely say I'm different than most. I am a much, much more direct and I believe in radical candor, which is kind of the new term. So for me, and I try to even get my reps to do this and more of them are doing this recently and with success, I will put, is when somebody asks me a direct objection or question, I give an immediate direct answer, even if that answer is not to my favor. Now, the art is the clarification of your answer after you've answered. But what I find is when I can clarify or actually answer it right away with yes, no, it may be even bad. Can you integrate with this other tool? 
No. A Sandler sales technique would say, does that mean this is over? If I can integrate with that tool, does that mean like, usually they'll say, no, that might be part of our decision-making criteria, but that's not the most important. Well, why did you want integration to happen? Maybe I have other tools already built into my system. And you don't need that integration to happen. What, what is really the goal and what's the benefit of that integration and why? That's just giving a radical example here, a very basic example, but it could be in many different things. So for me, as soon as you try to skirt that objection or you try not to give a direct answer, you become a salesperson, not a consultant. Yep. So for me, I always talk to my reps about my job is to be a true consultant. And true consultants need to be truly honest, right? On where we're at and where we're not. Now, how we get around those objections, which are not to our benefit and favor, is again, the clarification questions and pieces afterwards and how important that is and why that maybe isn't as important as they thought. Yep, that's right. It's a no why. No, we don't, but why do you ask? Correct. Moving on to question number four, who has had the greatest impact on your career? And if you could expand, that'd be great. So I'm gonna give a strange answer here. It's probably my father. And my father wasn't in sales. My father was a customer service rep at a large company for years, customer service manager. One way that my dad really influenced me, like in my sales career later is when I was really young, and I mean like seven, eight or nine, my dad would include me in every large purchase the family did. If we went to buy a car, my dad would sit me in the room, and before we went in the room, explain to me, hey, Chad, I'm gonna go buy a Honda today. We're gonna negotiate. This is what negotiation means and what we do. And he's gonna ask me to finance, and this is what finance means. And I really got to like see sales processes, I think, as a real young child, which I think really helped me feel comfortable First of all, with kind of the negotiation part that happens, also more comfortable talking about money. I think that a lot of reps that I talk to have a very difficult, have a lot of difficulty kind of just telling a price and really coming out with that price because again, we're in such a value selling culture. So I am definitely much different in that regard today to my sales because of that. Like if Danny, you say, what is the price of this today, blah, blah, blah. My answer will be, that is $100,000. And then I say, would you like to understand why and how I got to $100,000? I'm taking, it might be 10 assumptions because I don't have enough information, right? In order to provide that in any enterprise sales, we need to have five to 10 different pieces of information to really come up with a price. Me actually throwing out a number and actually then clarifying how I came up with that $100,000 number Really, what I find dramatically changes the conversation with my client. First of all, they start to understand the push and pull mechanisms that are going to drive their price. Secondly, I right away understand who the economic buyer is going to be. Quite often, they'll say, well, if it's truly going to be $100,000, I need to get Joe involved. I didn't realize I needed to get Joe involved, but let's introduce Joe on our next call and make sure Joe understands what we're doing and why. And I really get to that economic decision maker much earlier in the process because I'm so candid, candid kind of in the pricing mechanisms that are, can be pushed and pulled to get there. So let's say that I threw out, it's $100,000, Danny, but you say, well, my budget's 15,000. I can then change my talk track while we could do a pilot or get started. 
at 15,000, it may or may not make sense for me. Maybe there's not enough data coming into the system to really make a larger purchase. Minimum you should consider is like 40,000, whatever number that could be, that give and take we give back and forth. But I think being honest and actually showing the push and pull mechanisms and buying pricing, the buying kind of criteria of pricing and how we get there is extremely important in today's society. And that is kind of opposite of what I typically see trained. What I see trained out there is, well, you need to understand and really pull all of the value metrics first. To me, a lot of times you're not going to get to all of those value metrics. They're not going to spend enough time with you if you don't share more early on in the process. That's great. And I would say not a, not a strange answer at all. I think it's a great answer to talk about your dad and, and how much impact he's had and clearly resonates beyond just the sales lens. So really appreciate you sharing that. Now, if you're ready for it, the last question of the five is one we've asked every guest on every season of the Ramp podcast. It's, it's the big one. But if you could go back in time, now that you have the benefit of hindsight, what advice would you give yourself as you are entering into your career? So for me, it goes back to process. I kind of shared earlier, I was, did not understand process early. I did it via brute force. I would make more calls than you, Danny. And I would talk to more people than you, Danny. And I was committed in order to, to, to be a top rep. So for me, going back and telling myself would be slow down a little bit, understand the process, review the process. When I say review the process, review it like over and over as I'm younger to make sure I really internalize it, that I'm not just reading a process. I really understand. Also, honestly, truly review the process and all of my deals. So review what my process is, where my gaps are. And by the way, we can win deals with gaps. Even though I have a process, maybe it's a five-step process, I have closed million-dollar deals only knowing three of the five, right? Like it doesn't mean you always, but you should at least be honest with myself is, man, me not knowing number three and number five could have really hurt me later on, right? And as long as I understand that, it really helps me as I go in my future deals in my career to understand where my real gaps are. What I find is most reps aren't honest with themselves. That's what us as sales managers really try to do is make reps to be honest with themselves. I'm not telling anything usually to a rep that they don't know already, but I'm making them really spend time to reflect that they haven't spent with themselves on their own deals. And then lastly, for me personally, it's just a personal trait, is to celebrate my wins, wins more. I'm not a guy who actually like closes a million dollar deal and goes and high fives and goes get a, a bottle of champagne and pop the cork. And I think I haven't spent a night, enough time probably celebrating my wins. So I think it's like spending some time and enjoying the hard work you put in. This is a truly hard work. I know people outside the profession don't really understand what the people listening to this podcast do all day, every day. Even my parents probably after me doing this 30 years don't understand what I do all day, every day. So we know it. And that's why I actually really appreciate you taking and letting me share kind of some of my knowledge, kind of what I've been through, because I think we, when you talk to the community of other salespeople, we get it. We understand this is hard. We understand that there's ups and downs but there's also tons of benefits being able to actually deal with those ups and downs. And uh, I tell newer reps, I'm dealing with just keep plugging away. Pipeline really cures everything. If we continue to create pipeline, as long as you're improving on process and 
your sales techniques, you're going to be extremely successful and honestly, probably make more money than you ever thought you would in your career. So, and that's honestly the reason most of us are in sales. Yep. That's right. That's right. Great answer. I would love to have gone head to head with you early in your career on the call charts, Chad. That was something that I prioritized huge, hugely at the early, my first sales job at Groupon, especially because it was the first time I was incentivized with, with actual money. So but it wasn't part of the commission plan. It was an extra bonus to be tops of the call charts. And they would give away Amex gift cards for like a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. And I made it my mission to be, once I realized that that was attainable, to be the number one on the call charts each month. <laughs> and it seemed like a no-brainer at the time, obviously, like as, as a 22-year-old who was very budget-constrained on, on first first paycheck in, For sure. in the real world. So appreciate that. Appreciate you coming on and sharing just a wealth of, of knowledge and wisdom and kind of bridging the gap between how tech was and how tech is. And the insights that you shared were super valuable. And I, I know our audience is going to absolutely love this one. Before I let you go, Chad, where can folks find you? Sure. Just on LinkedIn, Chad Heinrich. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very accessible. I can tell you, I do actually read every LinkedIn in mail. I actually respond to a lot of people that they're surprised I respond to and definitely willing to help people out there. And of course we all have time constraints, but if there's a real way I can help, I'm always willing to help. I think as you decide to move from a salesperson successful to a sales manager, you really have to have a passion for actually helping and having other people reach their goals. And I tell the people I manage, my, my success is actually watching you hit your quota and you hitting your goals. And your goal may be that you have a new baby on the way. Your goal could be that you want to buy a new car. Your goal could be you're saving for a down payment on your house. And I truly celebrate those goals with my, with my team. And so for me, any way I can help them, I'm always out there. Amazing. Thank you, Chad. Really, really appreciate your appearance on the Ramp Podcast. And until next time, thank you so much for all the guidance and everybody hit chat up on LinkedIn. It seems like he is a wealth of knowledge, an exceptional manager and somebody you can certainly learn from. But again, can't say thank you enough. Really appreciate everything. Great. Thanks, Danny. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Ramped Podcast. To access our show notes, the Ramped platform, or to become a corporate partner, visit www.rampedcareers.com or email us at sales at rampedcareers.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ramped. Ramped is on a mission to democratize job access through learning and career discovery. Until next time. <laughs>